Welcome to Emotional Intelligence at Work, brought to you by Genos International. You are a product of your environment. We've all heard that, and today we explore how your workplace environment impacts well-being, productivity, and of course, emotional intelligence. I'm Marielle Daggle, and joining me and my co-host, Dr. Ben Palmer, today is Managing and Creative Director of Future Space, Angela Ferguson. Angela is a leading workplace strategist and her 20 years plus of experience has spanned Australia, Asia and New Zealand. She has a profound passion for wellness at work, particularly as it relates to performance, well-being, physical and mental health. The workspaces she has created are incredibly impressive, some which we'll discuss shortly and all that align with an organisation's business strategy, culture, brand, technology blueprint and wellness initiatives. Fantastic. Welcome, Angela. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And nice to see you, Ben. Yes, great. Thank you, Marie. And thank you, Angela. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I've been a big believer for a long time about how different environments create different emotions and different behaviours and so on. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion with you. Likewise. And um, there's a lot of exciting work that you've been doing recently, but I thought we could start by... um, explaining to everybody listening today kind of what it is that you do in a broad sense. So I know that one area that Future Space looks at is the optimization of the experience of work across touch points like people and culture, wellness, tech and environment. Can you explain to us what that means in real terms? Uh, That is such a big question, but um, it's a great question. Uh, So what that means in real terms is that When we design workplaces, we don't just uh, put some furniture and some colours and uh, some desks and offices together and, you know, do a pretty efficient layout and then hope for the best when people occupy it. It means that so what we do is whenever we engage with a client, we have a whole series of activities that we do with them to understand their brief to understand their people, to understand how they work now, how they want to work in the future, what are some of the outside forces at play, uh, what's the culture like now, what do they want the culture to be like, what's great about it, what's not so great. And we really investigate and interrogate all of these things so that we can then uh, design a workplace that is a reflection of that. So it really is about, it's almost like dating in a way. Uh, so, you know, it's that get to know your process. And then, you know, once we've got a really good understanding of who, who a client is and how they behave as, a, as an organisation, then we can actually craft a workplace around that that supports some of their goals as a business and some of their goals as a culture. What if their culture is terrible and part of the brief is to improve that culture? Have you ever gotten that? Yeah, all the time, actually. Um, one of the great examples um, that we get quite often is that, you know, the culture is siloed. You know, different teams don't talk to each other. And, uh, you know, the marketing team, you know, has nothing to do with the sales team, but really they should be collaborating. So we then look at, you know, what are some of those challenges around that and, you know, what's stopping them from collaborating? And quite often it is a physical response. You know, it could be that, you know, sales is on one floor, marketing's on another floor, mm. there's no internal stair, and it's really inconvenient for people to go and see the other. 
um, you know, physically go and, you know, connect with the with their colleagues. So, you know, that's often a really easy fix when teams are siloed and it's a very common one as well that lots of businesses are grappling with. What about on the wellness front? One of the touch points is wellness. Is that a matter of just putting in stairs and making people walk up and down them to keep them fit? Mm. Um, that is one good thing that you can do. <laughs> make it uh timber timber treads and driving everyone crazy with yeah. the heels running up and down all day but um but yeah look health and well-being is a is a really huge one it's something I'm really passionate about um and we talk about health and well-being from like three aspects there's that physical well-being um there's the social well-being and there's that mental well-being mm-hmm. as well so mental well-being includes things like designing for neurodiversity and inclusion mm-hmm. um uh, social well-being means designing for connection and collaboration, and then the physical well-being is, you know, good ergonomics throughout. You know, we've seen a lot of workplaces, you know, in the last, you know, sort of five to ten years have a lot more of a domestic feel, but you know, often a domestic sofa, for example, is is too low to sit ergonomically when you're working on a laptop. So, um, you know, one client in particular, PwC, we it's a, it's a very domestic feel, but a lot of what we did was change the heights of furniture, um, particularly that soft furnishing, and then making sure that even things like the foam in the upholstery was a bit firmer so it gives people more support. So you've got this sort of accumulative effect of all these different little ergonomic touches happening throughout so that people are physically uh, well in the workplace. I really like that. You mentioned three really important buckets of well-being there, the thinking strategies and mental well-being physical strategies for physical well-being, social strategies for for social well-being. When I talk with people about thinking strategies, one of the things we talk about is inspiration and how um, inspiration, particularly when it's linked to purpose and mission, really amplifies its beneficial effect in terms of creating positive thoughts and emotions around things. And I was looking on your website uh, and in particular at the Reese project. I'm renovating my bathroom at the moment, everyone. So <laughs> Reese is really And I've just my mind. finished, yeah. But I think what stuck struck me about the examples on your website, Angela, was about how you're really inspiring purpose and mission of a company in the spaces as well. And I, I was really linking that to thinking strategies for mental wellbeing. Yeah. Reese is Reese is a really, really good example of that actually, because you know, their core business is plumbing, it's all linked to water. So that whole project is, um, is you know, is, is sort of themed around water. And one of the great things, one of the well, wellness initiatives that they took on was to encourage people to drink more water. So they've got these hydration stations throughout the workplace that connect to an app where the people who work in the building can actually track how much water they're drinking every day to make sure that they're staying hydrated. And we all know, you know, how important hydration is in terms of, you know, that holistic wellbeing piece. So, and it's a really lovely um, story around inspiration linked to purpose, like you say, Ben. What, 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 I mean, I had a look at that too, and the um, building itself is absolutely stunning. Well done. Um, it's Thank somewhere you. that I would like to go to work for sure. What was the brief for the Reese project? It was called The Works and I encourage anybody listening to go and check it out on the Future Space website. What was the client looking for there? Um, yeah, well, they, you know, they had big ambitions for this space. So 
couple of key goals were really around uh, it's called the works because it's a resource center for all of the retail environments. So it was really about providing that um, for their retail um, retail environments, so all the different distributors around around the state and around the country. Um, but it was also about, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, this idea around silos. So um, a key goal for them was that they were originally all on one level before they moved into this six-storey building and the teams were siloed even though they were all on one level and they weren't kind of cross functioning or cross working with each other. So um, that that sort of impact on how people interacted was, you know, one of their key goals right from the very beginning. They wanted people to run into each other. They wanted mm-hmm. people to work together. Um, so they actually had uh, teams broken. Oh, so so sorry, they had the business broken up into functions. So you had, you know, mm-hmm. people in culture function and, um, you know, all the different functions, but the way that it works now is that it, it's teams get together. So you might have a team that has someone from finance and someone from people and culture and, you know, someone from somewhere else and somewhere else. So they all come together, um, you know, not by brand or by fun- by function, but now rather by project. And so teams and teams can, can fit, reconfigure and, you know, sit wherever they need to in the building depending on what sort of piece of work that they're doing on. So it's this really... You know, really dynamic, really active environment where um, you know people aren't physically fixed to a location. They can, mm-hmm. uh, as a team, book where they need to work for whatever period of time they need to work. And so then, like that physical, you know, not being physically fixed means that they're not mentally fixed as well. So it keeps the whole thing agile. And um, you know, Reese is about innovation. It's one of Australia's, you know, really oldest most successful brands so it really is a you know kind of I was there last week actually it's such an exciting and dynamic environment like every day of the week yeah it's amazing and I read that you have well sorry I read that wellness was a key driver and that there are initiatives that promote wellness on every floor what kind of initiatives well so that's they're those hydration hydration stations which is actually quite difficult to say to say Um, but it's also, you know, technology plays a big part in that as well. So each floor has got these big data screens in the breakout areas. And so um, they can be used to celebrate, you know, team moments or birthdays or things like that. Um, you know, it, it creates connection and communication throughout. So they can play up, you know, events that are happening as well. If they're doing a town hall or they're doing an event downstairs, for example, on that ground floor, mm. if you're sort of working on a floor above, you can actually kind of watch what's going on down there on one oh, of those screens. Cool. Um, so it's really that sort of social well-being as well and then the physical pace through the water and through other things. Um, the other thing that those technology screens do is they let you know when um, the next the next train's coming. <laughs> So it just kind of helps people plan their day and be a few because there's four train stations close by. There's so many different um, modes of transport sort of to and from that location. So it kind of gives people the opportunity just to have a bit more, um, you know, structure and certainty and, you know, manage their time well as well. That's so cool. That's quite um, forward thinking too. Who yeah. Who is the driver typically when you get a brief like this? Is it driven through ops primarily? Does HR play a role? Who gets involved in briefing you and kind of determining what they're looking for? Yeah, we like to have everyone at the table and um, by everyone, I don't mean everyone individually in the 
office or in the workplace, that's a, or the organisation, that's, you know, kind of challenging. But um, we have different ways of engaging with different levels of the business. So we might do one-on-one um, interviews with the executives, for example. So we've got all the C-suite covered. Um, we often do online workshops where we will invite everyone in the organisation to participate. So we can do these workshops with up to 90 or even more, 120 120 people, and so it gives everyone the opportunity to have a voice. Um, yeah, there's different surveys, there's different um, questionnaires and things that we do. So there's there's different ways that we collect all the data and then aggregate it so that we can make sure that, um, yeah, what we're designing is is focused on the sort of the universal needs but also mm-hmm. looking at where the gaps are and what are the problems that we need to solve. So one of the big gaps we're seeing now is that leadership uh, wanting staff in two days a week Oh, sorry, three days a week, and mm-hmm. staff are sometimes thinking, well, I've been in one day a week, that's enough, I've ticked my box. Mm. So uh, that gap between, you know, time spent in the office is, is a pretty big one that we're finding out at the moment. I'm sure everyone listening is starting to think about some of the environments that they work in and some of the environments that we often bump into throughout our lives in community and the opportunities that abound for improvements in this kind of stuff, Angela. I was thinking about aged care and hospitals, for example, mm. two places where you, you know, want to go and feel, I, I would imagine, um, the right emotions to help you heal or to help you age effectively. And yet some of these environments are very sterile, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's such a good point because, you know, I Personally, you know, myself, I've utilised lots of different health practitioners over the years and, you know, I remember there's one in particular, like I was going to see this person that was all about holistic wellness and it was in a really ordinary building with, you know, ceiling tiles kind of, you know, loose and falling down and bad quality air conditioning and it just every time, you know, I used to think how is this actually helping me when I'm trying to, you know, physically be well and so you're right. So to apply those sorts of things to any sort of interior environment, I think is really critical. Um, yeah, and I think people are starting to kind of get that sense now. We actually did recently design a wellness space for um, you know different set of therapies that included yoga and um, you know good quality air and low emission paints and all of those you know really important things that contribute to that physical well-being so hopefully that yeah. is a growth area i believe you can get a vegan interior in some prestige cars these days oh you can actually yeah um vegan yeah. leather seats and and that whole vegan leather piece is really interesting like you know they're making leather out of mushrooms and you know, all sorts of stuff so that's a huge growth area as well um Ben, from your perspective and with the clients that you've worked with, have you seen or have you ever noticed an impact of an environment on emotional well-being or vice versa? Yeah, absolutely. And what I talk about with clients more about their own interactions as opposed to the building that they're in is that different environments create different fields. So if you're going to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with someone that you want to be more formal and for it to have a a greater level of uh, seriousness to it. What is the right environment in your workplace for that? If you want a conversation to be more exploratory, to inspire greater curiosity and perhaps more open dialogue, what's the kind of environment for that? 
Um, and I think, mm. I don't know about you, Angela, but I still find a lot of people don't really think about how different environments create different feels and how to step into different environments to actually symbolically set off, if you like, all those unconscious feelings and emotions that we have that actually can really help something feel and and evolve mm. the way you want it to evolve. So I talk to leaders a lot about being very intentional with this stuff. Yeah, it's a great um it's a great discussion. That's actually a little bit similar to one of the questions we ask in one of our engagement um activities. And it's, you know, we ask people how do you want the workplace to make people feel? And we ask them to think about, you know, how do you feel and behave in a library versus how you feel and behave in a shopping centre. And what about when you go to a fine dining restaurant versus a pizza joint? Like, you know, these are very contrasting environments. So what are the sorts of things that you want to feel in the workplace yourself and the others who are visiting there? And that gives us a lot of clues to then design a space that contributes to, you know, what people are looking for. Mm. I will never forget the very first assignment that Genos had as a commercial kind of activity, if you like, was with the ANZ Bank when they were becoming, when John McFarlane took it over and did a cultural transformation that was really around making ANZ Bank become the bank with a human face. It was a classic service profit chain strategy, if you like. Let's be more human to each other on the inside so that that's the way we deal with customers and we create greater customer customer loyalty and profitability as a result. That involved many different things, working on people's emotional intelligence, changing the structure uh, of the bank, but very much also the furnishings and things of it. I remember them at that time pulling out boardrooms and putting in meditation Mm. rooms and um, places where people could go and just be still and silent and explore their own authentic inner self. And this was the early 2000s. I remember some people saying, you've got to be kidding, (laughs) this is ridiculous. Um, But actually... It really struck me and it's been something that's that stayed with me a lot. Another company and building that's really had an impact on me, Huawei have a huge head office um, in China, two buildings that are almost a kilometre long. In fact, I think they may be a kilometre long, about three, four storeys high. They're like two big chopsticks if you look at it from the top. And the bottom floor as people enter is childcare food, medical practitioners, pharmacy. It's all those sorts of things in that one spot. So you're coming to work and you can get all those kind of day-to-day things that you need looked after, looked after. And, um, yeah. It's almost like a recognition that people have lives. Like when I hear that, for me, when Angela um, mentioned that Reese has the screens that show what times the trains are coming, I mean, I... To me, I was like, how amazing. I would love that. Something as simple as, as someone who's busy, I've got to get, you know, I've got to pick up my kids. I've got a million things to do. The fact that my employer is showing me what time the next train is coming, not only is valuable to me, but it also says that we care that you have a life outside of here. We want to help you lead that life as well as you can too. exactly. Yeah, it's such a great such a brilliant yeah. idea. That whole precinct planning, though, that's a huge change. Like there's, we're seeing a lot of that here in Australia and, you know, across, you know, across New South Wales, across Victoria, you know, even in all the big states. It's, it's such a big part of, um, you know, a lot of what's going on architecturally. Listen, Care, I, can't, I can't. I was just going to say, Marie, that 
yeah. ca- feeling cared for, feeling that you matter is such a powerful emotion in terms of Absolutely. the attitude you bring to work. I think it leads to people feeling and demonstrating greater care for what they do and who they do mm-hmm. it for. And I feel like if you, fo- like, you know, we've observed even in our own practice, like if you focus on that as a priority, everything else just seems to take care mm. of itself. Absolutely. 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 I might take that idea on board and I, I can't afford screens, but what I might do is just send voice <laughs> announcements to my team over Teams. <laughs> the train on platform number one leaves oh, in five minutes. Um, they'll laugh, but I don't think it'll be valuable, <laughs> probably annoying. Um how did Reese measure? You said one of their goals was to encourage collaboration. How do they? Me- how did they measure, or do they measure whether this new work environment has helped achieve? Yeah, that? Look, I think one of the, probably the most obvious ways is uh, how much it's actually occupied. So they never mandated how many days people needed to come in, um, and even initially, you know, their staff were saying to them before because this this project all happened during COVID as well. So we started before COVID. Wow. Pivoted during COVID. It's been open for about a year and a half now. And, you know, so they never mandated staff, you know, any number of days to return. And the staff were actually saying to them, I don't know why you're wasting your money on building this big workplace. We're all happy working from home. We're not coming in. Because it's in Melbourne too. And Melbourne had a pretty tough time during the pandemic and people mm. still, there's a lot of PTSD there. Um, but really just mm. the level of occupancy, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's pretty much full. And um, people are just attracted to naturally want to come and work in the office because they're, you know, they're supported there in the way that they work from a functionality perspective, but also from a, you know, just a day-to-day lifestyle perspective as well. And then, you know, they're now looking at, um, their in, you know, the number of people coming in on a Monday and Friday are increasing as well. So just that, you know, the moment it opened, the HR team, did a lot of open days and showed people through the space and really educated people on how mm. to use it. A lot of it is intuitive, but a lot of it does need a bit of, um, you know, introduction. So, you know, their people and culture team worked really hard to make sure people understood the space and how to use it. And so it's just been this really natural attraction where people, it's a place people want to be. Um, yeah, it's like every time, I like I've been going there pretty regularly for the last you know, year and a half and every time I go there, it just has such a great energy and such a great vibe. Doesn't matter what day of the week it is, and you really get the sense that you know people are you know enjoying the space and making it work for them. Is it your favourite, Angela, or are there others yeah. that you'd like to call out? Who's getting this really, really well, right? Do you think? Let's not talk about the uh, business lounge at the Mystic Airport, <laughs> in Sydney here. Yeah, <laughs> I think Reese are really getting it right, and it's it's funny. There's not that many projects that are because you know we're only you know we're coming up to next what March is sort of four years since COVID started, so we're still in that phase where you know workplaces are only just there's a lot of refurbishment you know there's not a lot of new workplace environments and because this one is brand new um you know they had the opportunity to actually really consider the future and you know what they wanted to achieve now but then also how they could flex in the future so that inbuilt inbuilt flexibility is really important but um a lot of the other projects we're doing is sort of more changing the existing environment to make sure it suits the way people are working now because you know if you think about it if no one's up if you haven't updated 
your current space, um, you know, in the last sort of two or three years, then it probably is going to be outdated because hybrid working is just so, you know, such a huge uptake because of COVID. So um, actually another one that's doing it well is a a law firm that I've been working with and they took, um, it's funny, we had like, you know, we had a conversation where I said you could probably go, you know, between 30 and 50% less space and their their leader said, okay, we'll do 50. And I was like, whoa, that was just a, a quick conversation. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but then we then we actually helped them sort of, okay, if it is 50, what does that actually look like? And they've been able to rotate teams through the space, um, invest the, the rent savings into technology and into people and culture. Um, they've become an employer of choice through this way of working where they use wow. their space to really serve what people's needs are. Um, and it's temporary space because they're between leases. So it's, it's been temporary for about three years, but, um, you know, they're still kind of waiting to see how work patterns emerge and evolve so that they can then, you know, do something a bit more permanent in the near future. But um, that's been a really important test and learn process for them so that they can then make sure that they're really needing uh, meeting what their people need. Speaking of which, what advice have you got for us at home? A lot of us at least have one or two days of the week still at home. I must admit I felt anxious about having you up on screen here with us today. I was madly tidying up in the background <laughs> here and thinking, oh, I wonder You've how got she's to blur judge my the background, office. Ben. Blur the background. <laughs> Any advice, Angela? I mean, one of the things I often talk to people about is make sure you've got an indoor plant of some kind. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what you mean advice for your home office? Yeah. How should we? Yeah, look. Or what little things should we think about in terms of our home office and how it can help us perhaps work more effectively? I think probably the most important one is to make sure you've got, like this is what I do, I make sure I've got exactly the same setup ergonomically at home as I do as at the office. Um, you know, so the right second screen and monitor and um, I have a footstool because I'm not a very tall person you know, I've got an ergonomic keyboard. I've just got, I've got mirrored at home and it works. So I can really seamlessly plug and play between the two. Um, that's probably the biggest one. I actually don't enjoy working at home very much. I find it's actually very distracting because there's, you know, bloody neighbours gardeners, someone else is renovating, the dog's going, <laughs> bloody, um, you know, the, the delivery people are coming, you know, every half an hour because I do too much online shopping and it's just, I actually get more focus work done in the office these days. But you know, it's horses for courses. I think the important thing is, you know, the ergonomics of it. You can't be working in bed or on the, on the sofa and just making sure you've got good access to natural light if you can because that's such a key part of, you know, our sense of well-being. Hmm. Angela, what's the deal? And, again, I'm not, I'm not really um, across how commercial property leases work, but when I think about what you did for Reese, it sounds like they had a fresh, clean slate, new building. What happens if you're locked into a lease, but you really need to reduce your footprint, or you want it? You you desperately need to change the way you're working to prepare yourself for the future. Is that is it even possible? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think what we're finding is that um, unless you're a really big space user, like you know more than five thousand square meters, you know multiple floors. Um, a lot of those businesses are actually letting go of floors and subleasing floors. So that's happening a lot. But if you're a smaller business, um, you probably don't need less space. You probably just need different types of space because the types of spaces 
that people need more of now, uh, the one to two person acoustically t- treated quiet rooms where you can do those online um, virtual meetings or do some quite focused work. You know, we're seeing less and less um, rows and rows of desks because mm-hmm. as people are in the office less often, they don't actually need a desk sitting there five days a week that they're not going to use. They can share some of those sorts of things. Um, but the social spaces are more important and they take up a bit more space. So that built environment and, and you know, things like collaboration spaces and, you know, big kitchens and all of those things are uh, the things that take up more space. So it's more that people need um, maybe it's the overall area is the same but what's in the overall area is just a bit of a different mix of things. So, yeah, so I think it really is just looking at, um, you know, what are the sorts of things that people want from their environment and how do you then incorporate that? And often it can be, you know, a furniture setting. One of my favourite furniture settings here in our studio is we've got a big uh, circular lounge that's got a high back on it and it's got a, a you know, it's not a full circle, It's it's got a broken bit like an opening and at the opening we've got a big screen on a stand so we do our daily huddle there where everyone kind of jams in around the screen there's some people on the screen it's a hybrid meeting we've got acoustics because it's a high back and it's just it's almost like a room but we haven't got all the expense of a room we've just kind of purchased this one really good piece of furniture and the tech um, that supports the way we want to work and collaborate. Angela can I ask you about scents? as in peppermint, lavender, oh. lemon, um, big connection mm. between the olfactory system and our emotional system and also our, obviously our mental well-being. Are they in or out? Are they a bit of a no-no or should we be using them? Tell us about your Yes, definitely. I am a huge fan of scent um, and it's not as tricky to do as you think. So um, there's one big consulting firm we worked for and we created a signature scent with them and this was 2016 Mm -hmm. and it's a signature scent. I think it only costs, I can't remember the figure, but you can actually get someone, you know, in Paris who's a nose um, to help (laughs) you create the signature scent and then they use that in all of their offices around Australia. So if you're travelling between one and the other, like the big shopping centres do. Or actually, the Intercontinental Hotel does it as well. That has a scent that you recognise every time you go there. Um, but then also we did one recently. So we designed Tourism Australia's headquarters um, in Sydney and part of the design concept was how do we represent Australia in an environment, you know, in an office environment, but then also considering that Australia is such a mix of things. You know, we're desert, we're see where um where bush where the cities you know we're all sorts of things and it could have been a real dog's breakfast i was gonna say the scent of bushfire seems to be <laughs> well yes mm. true um actually the prawns on the barbie we did actually use that as part of our pitch but i'll tell you that story another time but um <laughs> it was pretty funny actually um we, where was I going? Oh, scent, yes. So we worked with them. We cre- uh, so the, the concept for them was representing Australia through the senses. So, you know, the sight, um, you know, the views out the window. Um, we talked about sound of the ocean playing over speakers. Uh, we incorporated things like Indigenous 
uh, fabrics um, for touch and texture in, in some of the furnishings. And the palette was more of a, a desert palette, a bit sort of, you know, the reds and, and um, you know, sandy colours and things. But then we created a signature scent with them that had notes of you. And it was an Australian supplier um, mm. who actually specialises in creating, I think he's done like Bondi, he's done Melbourne, he's done all these scents based on what you find, what the Indigenous plants are in these different locations. So we worked with him to create this really beautiful signature scent that when you go up there, it just kind of evokes everything that, uh, you know, we mm. know and love about the country. Mm. Fascinating. I mm. find it so powerful from a branding point of view. The second Ben said sense, I immediately thought of two things. One was Country Road, which always has, they have their own scent and I literally can see the shop and smell it right now. And the second is the Langham, who do the same thing and use the same scent in all their hotels worldwide. Same thing, instantly I can feel myself there and remember exactly what it was like to stay there. It's brilliant. So powerful. Mm. Absolutely. I think where I'd like to end is what what the future holds, Angela. Any major trends for the next five to ten years that you can see emerging? Yeah, look, five to ten years is a, is a long, long, uh, time. long time to predict, especially when things change so quickly. But I think my hope actually is that our workspaces continue to become more human spaces. And I think one of the, the gifts of COVID has been that it's raised the level of conversation about the physical environment and, and the works, mm-hmm. the places that we work in. And it it's, has actually, you know, people are now starting to talk about, okay, yes, the workplace has to have meaning and purpose. And look, for us, it's a bit of a, you know, I told you so moment. But, um, yeah, just... Just, you know, that level of consciousness around the workplace being a really fulfilling environment for people, I think, you know, my hope is that 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 trend continues and, you know, layered into that is the fact that, you know, there is absolutely no one-size-fits-all. There's no cookie-cutter approach. It really is about, you know, organisations do have personalities and brands have personalities and they have, you know, cultures and they have... um, you know, really specific things that the workplace can help support and address and, uh, you know, just create you know, one of our one of our hashtags, we've got a couple. One is there's no place like work, which I love, but the other <laughs> one is, um, you know, people are the product of their environment and so to be able to create these environments that are, um, you know, about more than just shelter but they support people in their endeavours, you know, I think is really key. Ben, what about you? Anything, any hopes, anything you'd like to see from an EI or a cultural point of view in the next five to ten years from an environment perspective? From an environment perspective, well, mm. I think the general thing that a lot of people, in my humble opinion, still need to really think about more and be intentional with is the use of different environments to create different fields, absolutely. And... Um, the other thing that I bang on a lot about in terms of developing emotional intelligence is to deliberately engage in things that move you emotionally, that the emotional system, like any system in the body, you can kind of metaphorically exercise it if you like. You know, if you want to feel anxiety and learn more about how to regulate that feeling, watch a psychological thriller or whatever it is for you that creates anxiety or deliberately engage in an activity that makes you feel anxious. 
not in the terror zone of anxiety, but in the learning zone of anxiety. If you want to feel joy, I don't know about you, but I love the talent shows because I've said before on this show mm. something about achievement and people having a go that you know, brings joy, often tears, uh, to me. So, yeah, I think that there's just, as you look around the place and you think about the different environments that you move into, there's obviously, as we were talking about earlier with Angela, such opportunities, I think, to do more in this space. I can imagine your business being very busy for years, Angela. I mean, just healthcare alone, by way of example, you know, it's not an inviting space, I don't think, for a lot of people. Um, And yet it should be a space, I think, more like a wellness centre where you Mm. instantly walk in and think, oh, this is going to be good for me, you know. Yeah. Angela, do you do, I know I said we'd wrap up, but famous last words, (laughs) Ben triggered a thought. Do you work much with healthcare institutions or... um, hospitals, medical centres, yeah, anything like that? We've done um, we've done more medical centre type stuff and mm-hmm. um, that recent project that I was talking about was more of a wellness centre. So they have consulting rooms for different practitioners. They have a learning and education space. They have a yoga room that can be um, can convert into smaller meditation pods. They've got a fitness room as well and uh, so the function was there from a wellness perspective, but then also, you know, bringing those health and wellbeing initi- initiatives into it. So it's definitely an emerging um, emerging field. Um, but I think the knowledge is still emerging there in a lot of ways. But like you're right, Ben, I love the thought that these these sorts of places should be more like day spas and, and, you know, more kind of, you know, inspiring and make you feel good the moment you work in, even if you are having something quite frightening mm. procedurally that needs to be done. Absolutely. Thank you. There's an opportunity there. Thank you so yeah. much, Angela. What an awesome chat. Very much so. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Also timely, I think, as we head into the festive season, I'm sure we're all thinking about how we're going to create that special feel this Christmas. Thanks very much, Angela. Thanks, Marie. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Catch you later.